What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode number 67 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Sunday, October 8th, 2017. I am here with my host, co-host, I don't fucking know, Mike Brown. How are you doing, Mike? I, I'm doing good. Yeah. How about you? I labored. Mr. Sleepyhead. <laughs> yeah, I labored getting through that last uh, opening phrase there. Yeah, I just... Woke up about an hour ago, everybody. Um, we're doing this podcast a little early as far as time, but not early in the sense of releasing it because it was we were supposed to do it Saturday, but Mike's college and life and my life because I've had uh, a bunch of events with you know my DJing and stuff this weekend. I had to DJ an Oktoberfest gig, uh, which was awkward because it, it's not really like, true Oktoberfest you know it's like white people white American people Oktoberfest so it's like oh, it's like yeah. yeah it's more like that beer uh that movie like beer quest or something or something what the fuck there was some beer movie that was like a bunch of white guys go to like Germany and and a beer fest um, no. I I know it's not even like that because if they're going to Germany, then they're getting an authentic Oktoberfest experience. This was more like let's, let's no, but I mean the film was uh, its approach was more of a white guy approach to it. Oh sure, that's what I meant. Yeah, th- that that's how this was. It was like let's let's blow up some balloons that say Oktoberfest and have some pretzels and okay, uh, it wasn't like that. But yeah, that that is. We're that gonna is. we're gonna have the DJ come out and play um, October festy music. I don't know what oh, that. God. I don't know what that entails. Like old old white men, Oktoberfest. Well, stuffy white guys this, at Oktoberfest. This, this that's the, what it sounds like. No, this is a thing. Like old school Oktoberfest music. Like like what our idea of it is. It's it, like polka, right? Right. That's not what they. Well, it's technically called oompa music, um, which is oompa. Yeah, it's more brass heavy. Uh, polka is more or less like in the Czech Republic and Poland kind of area, and it's more accordion based. Uh-huh. Uh, it's not the same thing that you'd hear in like a German Oktoberfest. Um, but yeah, like most modern Oktoberfest music is like techno. With like some brass in the background, wow! And it's like That's this crazy. really like high energy, like oh, so it's like the the music in uh, European Vacation when Chevy Chase exactly, yeah. And it's got like a doom 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 doing that doom silly dance where he's smacking his knees and stuff like that. Yeah, so I did that on Friday, and I had to go straight from there to my other karaoke gig. And then Saturday, I did a Sweet 16 birthday party in Eagle Harbor. I know none of you know where that is, but... Uh, that was probably cringe. Uh, yeah, it was... <laughs> this girl had a choice between getting a car and having a party thrown for her, and she chose the party. That's what her parents told me. Wow. Yeah. Uh, priorities, people. I would say that that's pretty cringe. Well, the most, cr- but it's not as bad as like my super sweet sixteen, where it's like if they don't get the car they want, then you know they get the car in the party and they get a car that they didn't want and they all bitch and cry about it. Dude, that minutes. that show should have been <laughs> that show should have been like a like who do we eliminate out of the gene pool kind of test. 
That show and like Jerry Springer should have been like the two shows. Spoiled, spoiled rich teens. <laughs> That's really what like, the name there of the show should have been. When they walked away, like when they walked like off the set or whatever, there should have been like a trap door with like this like gr- <laughs> like meat grinder underneath it, and they're just turned into oh, so fertilizer. Like the music video for Pink Floyd. Uh... We're not gonna take another. It. Brick no, we're not gonna take it. Another brick in the wall. Yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> Please don't confuse Pink Floyd with Twisted Sister. <laughs> we're not gonna take it. No, we ain't gonna take it. No, it. Uh, during the Sweet Sixteen thing that I DJed or whatever, uh, the mom like before everything got started, the mom like went in front of everybody and read this letter she wrote to her daughter. Ooh, now that's cringe. Yeah, dude. It, like. And she's basically just just praising and worshiping the ground this this her daughter walks on. She's like, you are so intelligent and so beautiful on the inside and out. And you get along with animals and you're tolerant and you're blah, blah, blah. And this, that and the other. And I'm just like, oh, my God, if I was 16 years old and my mom was like reading this love letter to me in front of all my friends, that'd be fucking humiliating. It'd be embarrassing. I'd be looking around like, like, am I mentally slow right now? Like, do they feel like they need to do this in my benefit or something? Like, yeah, oh, good. Or you just feel like- good for you, Josh. Yay! <laughs> you know, it's like I don't need this much validation, people. Josh is such a sweet, kind boy. Yeah, I don't feel com- dude. I'm really bad at taking compliments as it is, but like, oh my god. And then on top of that, she like. So, what do you think your mom would say, like, if she did that? Uh, I don't know, dude. Like, my family's not big on complimenting each other. <laughs> we're, we're, like, more big on, like, sarcastically, like, tearing down so each other. that could be embarrassing, too. Just a sarcastic toast to Josh's on his 16th birthday. I'd feel so much more comfortable with, like, <laughs> yeah. this jackass over here has been <laughs> such a pain in our ass for all these years. So, finally, we figured we'd have a birthday party celebration for him to get him to, you know, <laughs> shut up. I feel much more comfortable with that. But yeah, that was my fucking weekend, and I haven't been sleeping well, and I don't know why the insomnia's returned. The return of the insomnia, so I'm still dealing with the sleeping pill fogginess right now, so you'll have to excuse me. It's okay. Uh, It's a good thing you didn't take Hibernol, because then you wouldn't be able to do this podcast. Anyway, uh, as for me, I haven't really done that much except uh, sticking my nose in a bunch of books for college and working on an essay for art history on the Terracotta Army, the tomb of the first emperor of China. So I've been reading some books about that, getting some research done with that. I wrote a couple uh, things uh, for some other classes, like I, I did a exercise for English. I also did another paper for digital technology and culture. Uh, read the uh, boring, just absolutely uh, ridiculously overcomplicated text for for that class. What is up with college level books and essays from uh, teachers and other professors, and then being so chock full of pretentious fucking uh, diatribes? And just using as many big words as humanly possible and overcomplicating uh, things to the point where something that would take two or three pages if they just condensed it and would actually be easier to access and understand for most people 
is now spread out into 10 to 20 pages. It's so fucking annoying. I, I hate it. I hate it. It's bad enough reading a textbook, but when you have a textbook that's nothing but this pretentious, long bunch of stream of consciousness words. <laughs> stream of consciousness. It's like the Joe Rogan podcast, just just going on and on about nothing. Kind of like what we're doing right now, but that's... Cool. Exactly. I do stream of consciousness stuff too, but I'm not going to put it down on a paper for 20 fucking pages. I never knew that like just ranting and, and like and talking about your life is not... It, it, I, I never knew that I could get such an eloquent, uh, you know, ter- term like stream of consciousness, you know? It's like, wow, I thought I was just like talking about my life, but no, apparently this is stream of consciousness, some hippie bullshit. <laughs> You know, to make... it's your stream of consciousness, Josh. Well, uh, according to our detractors, it's uh, chit chatting and just get to the stories already. But uh, <laughs> you know, whatever. This well, is okay. This is a shorter, a shorter podcast because um, one of the stories. Okay, by the way, these are both Patreon requested stories. So if you want to join the Patreon, it's www.patreon.com/slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. Did I really just say www? Like, yeah. Wow. Who the fuck says that anymore? Like, it's http I, colon slash slash forward slash forward slash www. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure Robert Stack probably said, you know, probably might have said something yeah, like that in the, the fucking late 90s, early 2000s, <laughs> yeah. when it was still called like the World Wide Web and sur- yeah. <laughs> surf in the net. Like, those were common terms. Now those terms are deemed uh, outdated, according to certain pieces i have uh web surfing yeah that's apparently an outdated term now like if you include that like on i don't know what article i was reading what would you use in place of that i don't see anything wrong with that statement i really don't i still think it applies oh another one they're saying is uh the information superhighway is another yeah outdated. well i've never heard that one you never heard in, that in anybody's conversation recently let alone over the past 20 years so <laughs> dude i remember the internet when it first fucking came out <laughs> that's how old i am uh i remember well i'm around the same age as you i just don't remember that kind of stuff i remember th- that like something that was web tv that my mom used to have which i think robert stack did a commercial for which is really cool yeah, I remember like my brother explaining it to me. He's like, "You can go to any uh, page or website you want." Like, I, I go, "Can I go to McDonald's.com?" He's like, "Yeah, <laughs> they have a website for that." And I'm like, "Oh my gosh, that's crazy!" Oh my god, McDonald's online. Then was... you go there. It's this disappointing website. Oh that yeah, takes forever to load. Yeah, just awful. And, and you're like, "I can't get McDonald's on McDonald's.com." Damn it. Yeah, like fuck. <laughs> For you kids out there, uh, all of the internet pretty much looks like how Craigslist.com looks now, but that was every web page. <laughs> that's one one thing I love about Craigslist is how they've kept it the most basic ass website possible. Like it is like still, it still looks like a website you would see out of like the late '90s. Like it's awesome. Um, anyway, the reason we've been dicking around so much here is because um, one of these cases uh, was not... Well, it's actually debatable if it was on Unsolved Mysteries or not. Um, that's the case of uh, Dorothy Scott, which we'll get to later. And um, then this other case here, it's probably more of a shorter one, I would say. I don't see us getting a lot of like meat out of this one, but it's still a pretty interesting case nonetheless. Yeah. And that is the case of Don Smith... Mike, you take it from here. I will do that. 
So Don Smith was a man on a road trip who was found bludgeoned to death near Twin Falls, Idaho. Now, this was a case that was featured on season one of Unsolved Mysteries. It is on episode 20 on Amazon Prime. And it started out on May 16th, 1987. At two in the morning, two vehicles collided on a downtown street in Denver, Colorado. One driver fled the scene, leaving his pickup truck. A few minutes later, police arrived. When they searched the truck, they found a room key from a local motel and a bloody jack handle. At the motel, police discovered the room was registered to Larry Monroe. In his room, they found a pair of pants and a sweatshirt, both covered in blood. It turned out the truck belonged to a man named Donald Smith from Hemet, California. Donald's wife had not heard from him for 12 days. What started out as a simple accident then turned into a bizarre case of murder. On May 11, 1987, Don left Hemet following a trailer, towing a trailer, not following a trailer. That would be pretty weird. <laughs> he just left following just some random travel trail. Unattached to anything. It's just <laughs> self-propelled. <laughs> He's just following he followed, behind he it. He followed the ghost trailer to, uh, from Hemet, California. Don's wife had not heard from him for 12 days. Yeah, of course. Uh, but he was headed to Idaho to visit his daughter, Brenda Walker. Except for his two dogs, Don was traveling alone. And they were golden. Re they were retrievers, I believe. Black retrievers, so black labs. Brenda was the only child from Don's first marriage. For most of her life, she and her father had been kept apart. She's quoted here, My mother kept me away from my father. They didn't get along really well after the, after the divorce. I think I only saw him once until the time my mother died, and then I started searching for him. He was searching for me as well. When Brenda was 26 years old, she and her father were finally reunited. He was very protective of me. And if I ever had a problem, he said, just let me know. I'll take care of it for you. He was kind of a macho man. Basically, it was a good relationship with the exception of when he was drinking, which he didn't do very often, thank God. He turned into kind of a different person when he was drunk, like most people do. Like my dad turns into an obnoxious drunk. Like this is a guy who picked a fight with a bunch of Samoans when he was in Hawaii and they beat his ass. Uh, it, he's... I don't like my dad when he's drunk. Are you, you're speaking as Mike now, right? You're not reading from anything. Yeah. Okay. I'm speaking as me. This is this is my dad. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Just wanted to clarify. So, well, she probably doesn't like her dad either. He's probably obnoxious too. That's the whole turn into a different kind of person. But there's different types of drunks. Like my mom, she's silly, so I'm okay with that. That could be. It's it's kind of fun. Uh. My mom's rarely ever drunk, though, but when she is, it's it's kind of funny because she's just very silly. My dad, though, he's obnoxious, he's annoying, and I don't want to be around him. And then you have other people who get drunk and they're violent, and that's scary. Uh, that's how my... Uh, uh, I have a family member who's around my age who I won't mention. Um, I think I've probably mentioned him in the past specifically, but whatever. Yeah, he... Uh, yeah, he gets obnoxious. He says some like really asshole stuff. Um, and yeah, he has gotten violent with other people. And I'm sure if I rubbed him the wrong way, he'd probably get violent with me. And that's why I don't hang out with him anymore. Like because of his drinking. Um, I, I just don't like being around him anymore. We used to be really close. And it's like 
he only would invite me over when he was drinking because he like wanted a buddy, you know, he wanted a, a, dr- uh-huh, a drinking yeah. companion. So, you know, I'd go over there and then he'd just start, you know, at some point, you know, or another, he'd just start shooting off at the fucking mouth, saying stuff, talking out of his ass about me, about my family. And I just, one day I, I just said to myself, why am I taking this? Why am I sitting here and listening to him talk shit about me me and my family and like why am i putting up with this so i just walked away from him and he goes hey where are you going and i'm like nah dude i'm done i've had enough of of this this whole thing that we do i'm i'm done and he's like oh i'm sorry um if i hurt your feelings like i'm some delicate flower or something it's like yeah fuck off you drunk piece you made, of shit. You made, you made the right choice. Oh, I yeah. Mean, you don't really need to be around that kind of uh, bullshit. Uh, what, what what happens to you when you get drunk? Because like, I, just, I just get tired and I want to pee a lot. That's all I really remembered. And I might get a bit silly. Uh, That's it. But I'm already silly enough as it is. I don't need alcohol to be silly and uh, weird. I'm already weird and silly. When I get drunk, I get really excited. Um, and I get really uh, re- even more animated than I normally am. This po- huh. this podcast not being a good example of me being animated. Uh, <laughs> um, but I just get... I, so if you, if, if you were ever drunk doing the podcast, it would just be like, 15 miles away, Brendan and her two friends and giving up fishing and stop by uh, a I'd be doing a bu- the Yeah, I'd be doing a bunch of voices and I'd be like <laughs> screaming and I'd be like, uh, you know, oh, I'd be like, there'd just be a lot of pep in my step, I guess you could say. It makes me like... It, That's it, interesting. Yeah, I could see why you uh, were drinking for so long then. Yeah, it makes it, me feel good. That, like, I, it gives you a sense of, it gives you a feeling of well-being, well, for me anyway, like, it... It doesn't really do that for me. I just get tired, and then I'm like, man, I gotta, I gotta pee, and I feel like I gotta pee constantly. So. Well, you only had, like, beer, right? Yeah. If you had a good mixed drink, you know, because beer, that's a lot of liquid for not, not much buzz. Uh, yeah. With mixed drinks, so like a whiskey sour or something like that, um, it doesn't, it, it tastes a little bitter. Yeah. But you're getting a lot more alcohol for less liquid. So uh-huh. you don't have to pee as much, but you get, but at the same time, I'm not really that. I, I just, I don't want to start it because I don't, I don't want to go down that road. And I, I just know how my dad is. And normally what I've seen with families is that it's kind of the same sort of reaction that you would get. You know, if your father reacts a certain way to alcohol, then more than likely you'll react similar, similarly to it. So I I don't really want to take a chance. It, that. Uh, drinking is something that's fun to do every now and then. And I- every now and then, you know, if, if I get to the point where I have like tons of friends locally and they want to go out drinking, I, I, I might, I'll give it a shot. But yeah, that, that's about it. You know, so anyway, yeah. going back to the story uh, that we're continuing here. Uh, the day after Don Smith left home, he and another man pulled up in front of the hospital where Brenda worked as a nurse. Don stayed in the truck while his companion went in. The receptionist referred to the man referred the man to Brenda's supervisor, a hospital administrator named John Slane. That's that's just a it's a great name, really. Slane went outside to talk to Don. He said he had obviously been drinking, and he said, "You know where Brenda is?" And I said, "Well, she's fishing with her girlfriends." 
And uh, there's the, the actor who plays uh, the the black man who's his companion. He had actually been in. Uh, he actually would go on to be in a few more episodes of the show. So he was be kind of he was a recurring kind of actor that they used in uh, quite a few episodes, but which I thought was pretty cool. Fifteen miles away, Brenda and her two friends had given up fishing and stopped by a tavern near the lake. According to Brenda, she's quoted here. We're sitting there at the bar by the front door. The door opened and everyone in the bar turned around. There was a black man with sunglasses on. He took his sunglasses off and he walked into the restroom. About a minute later, this man came in with wild hair and his shirt was untucked. It took me a minute to realize who it was, but it was my father. When he hugged me and sat at the bar with me for a minute, I realized he was drunk. I was a little upset because he had shown up this way. He embarrassed me in front of my friends and I went to the restroom. When Brenda returned, her father broke down. He started crying immediately, and he was babbling about how he doesn't want to be alive anymore, and how he's got cancer, and how he was going to be with my mother in heaven. And then his companion, the black man, came out of the restroom. He looked over at my father and just kept walking, kind of ignored him. He went out and got into the driver's seat of my father's truck. I don't know, he looked really impatient and, and disgusted at being there. When her father became belligerent, Brenda walked out of the saloon. After a few minutes, Don followed Brenda outside, but she left without speaking to him. I wish I would have had more patience with him. I wish I would have understood the situation. I wish I would have tried to be more compassionate with him. This was the last time I saw him. I opened up the camper to let the dogs run around, run around, and I just drove away. Now, it's easy to say that kind of stuff in hindsight, but like when you're in that situation, that would be absolutely embarrassing. You're just like, oh, God, Dad, really? You know, and then you're not really thinking that you're never going to see him again. Yeah, that's got to be like a horrific last memory of your father for you. Like, you know, that was the last time he was seen alive by by you before he turns out yeah. dead. And you're, you know, you basically kind of blew him off. But then at the same time, it's like, I totally get it. How else are you mm -hmm. supposed to? I mean, it's not like she knew that that was going to be the last time she was going to see no. him. And he was drunk. So it was like. You know, trust me, like this, the, the family member I just told you about that I don't hang out with anymore. Like if I would like go over to his house and he was already like, you know, fucked up and I hadn't even started drinking yet. I just I'd be like, oh, God, he's drunk, you know, and, and it was just like such a hassle. Yeah. If you're not. So if he showed up at like a party of yours or something and your friends were all there and you just. Yeah, it's humiliating. Yeah, because they're, you know, drunk off his ass. they're on a different level mentally than everyone else. And like they they find no they make no bones about like just being a lot more like, you know, no, there's no inhibition. No inhibitions, inhibitions are, are, are cut off or when you're when you're drunk. So like if that. you have an opinion, it's going to fly the fuck out of your mouth at record speeds and it's going to go to whoever you want to say it to and. You know, so yeah, it's it's very embarrassing, and I've been in those situations before. Um, I also want to make note. I made a mental note when I watched this episode yesterday. I felt like they really. <laughs> I feel like this was a different time, you know, for like obviously like the the late eighties, early nineties, whenever. Yeah. I felt like they made a lot of like uh, 
comments about this guy's skin color, the friend. He's like, then this yeah. black man came in, and then the black yeah. man walked yeah. out, and it's like, it's like, okay, we get it. He's not white, you know, <laughs> like why? <laughs> oh, you know, you don't got to keep pointing it out like he's some uh, like rare unicorn or something. And then a black man came in. <laughs> and and how they made it look like in the reenactment, and they made it look like this was not a bar necessarily where black people would would be at or yeah. or would be welcomed at. Even it looked very rednecky, and uh, so like maybe that's why they were saying it that way or something because it was such an unusual sight or something. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I thought that was kind of a, a, t- a kind of a sign of the times, I guess, because nowadays. <laughs> On a TV show, they wouldn't. They would never word it like that. You know, they w- wouldn't be like. And then a black man came in, and then this black man walked back out. Did we mention he was black? Um, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, so two weeks later, in the high desert outside of Twin Falls, a couple out of their out for their morning walk made a horrifying discovery. Twin Falls Sheriff Department Corporal Bill Tilson was the first on the scene. We observed a body that appeared to have been thrown over the guardrail. The body had been decaying for approximately two weeks. We could not recognize him at that point. There was no identification found around him or on him. At this time, we had no idea what we had, just another John Doe. An autopsy was done, and we found bludgeon marks on the back of the head indicating that this was the cause of death. Also outside of the guardrail, where possibly the victim was thrown from, we found a sack with a bottle of wine in it. It was taken in as evidence. The Twin Falls Sheriff Department had no idea who the body was until they heard about a truck that had been abandoned about 700 700 miles away in Denver. Corporal Tilson thought there might be a connection. Denver police had sent out a teletype indicating that they had had a vehicle involved in an accident that possibly was involved in a homicide. So I called them and they gave me the name of a subject, Donald Smith. Fingerprints positively identified the dead man as Donald Smith. The police began to piece together the events that led up to Don's murder. On May 11th, the day Smith left home, he ran into trouble with a trailer he was towing. Just outside Las Vegas, he arranged to leave it with a local man. One theory is that soon after Don left Las Vegas, he picked up a hitchhiker. At some point along the way, they started drinking. The day after he saw his daughter, Don turned up in Park City, Utah. He called his sister in Vancouver, asking her to wire him $200. When Don picked up the money, he was with someone who looked exactly like the man Brenda had had seen with her father in the bar. Police believe the hitchhiker murdered Don for the money when he stopped to let his dogs out for a run. The murder weapon was probably the jack handle grabbed from the rear of the truck. Brenda hopes that someone will come forward with information. I want to know why he killed my father. I want to know why he took my father away from me and away from my children. My father was the only family I had. The composite of Don Smith's mysterious companion was made of various eyewitness accounts. And it's, I, I, I thought it was pretty creepy. Like one of the most memorable things about it, about this segment was that composite sketch. For some reason, all these composite sketches on Unsolved Mysteries just are very eerie to me. I think it's because of the photorealistic aspect of them. So they look like a picture, but they're not really a picture. And it's this sort of ethereal surreal vibe to it that just gives me chills the composite to me it, he, it looked like a jackson he looked like one of the jacksons <laughs> i like either tito or Jer- not jermaine but like tito he he had a very yeah, jackson totally look. tito it's yeah like, come on tito what are you doing yeah tito why are you hitting people with jack handles and i mean he even had like in this in the reenactment you know the the black man 
had uh, the a- aviator sunglasses on and all that. Like, yeah. I think the Jacksons wore that at some point. Well, he, he, he the the actor who played the black man in this, uh, the suspect. You can't say the black man, segment. Mike. You have to say the black man. <laughs> to, to, to really emphasize the fact that he was a black man. The actor who played the suspect in this uh, segment, he reminded me of uh, the actor who played... Uh, I believe the the tubs in in uh in Miami Vice. I never watched that show. You don't you don't remember Miami Vice? Dude, that was so before my time and your time. Eighty <laughs> stuff is, is is totally my wheelhouse because even though I was born in, in nineteen eighty nine, like I've been watching and know of tons of eighties shows. I even know of like obscure shows like. Small Wonder. Remember oh, that God, one? yeah. Well, I, I don't remember <laughs> watching it, but I, I, I've seen... I think John Tron did, like, a episode on it or something. <laughs> so, uh, Miami Vice... Yeah, Philip Michael Thomas. Remind me of him a little bit. But anyway, the composite of Don Smith's mysterious companion was made from various eyewitness accounts. He is black, <laughs> but with relatively light skin. He's about six feet tall and weighs about around 180 pounds. Today, he would probably be in his 50s. He may use the name Larry Monroe and might have once lived in Blackfoot, Idaho. And by today, he might be in his 50s, we mean today he might be in his 70s. Yeah, or 80s. Because that was today as in 1990-something today, not 2017. Yeah, like 1989, 1990. Yeah, because this is God, we're getting up there in the 2000s, man. It's like, I remember a time where, like, you talk about the 90s, and I was like, oh, that was only six years ago. Now it's getting yeah, to... Yeah, it Now it's like, oh, that was only 35 years ago. <laughs> yeah, like, what the yeah fuck? it aired on... Uh, this episode aired on March 1st, 1989. And this is still an unsolved murder. I, I think the guy did it, though. Clearly. The black man... It seems like he's the he's the number one suspect here, but I mean I could be wrong. Well, and then there's other people who are like the guy looks like President Obama. Oh my god! And he lived in Idaho at the time. Maybe it was Obama. That, that would be one crazy. That that would be one insane. Well, before I became president, <laughs> I um I traveled the uh, nation's highways and byways, and um, you know, every now and then I uh, murdered some folks, and I wasn't proud of it, but uh, felt like it was something that needed to be done, population control, <laughs> etc. <laughs> I regret nothing. Uh, I, I love this comment from Krispy Kreme McDonald, and I love that name too. Oh, it's a great name. It says, "I'd like to know what happened to the dogs." Dude, I'm going to pitch a me TV too. Show called Unsolved Dog Mysteries. Dude, I honestly, I'm glad you brought that up because, like, I, I was watching it last night, and I said to myself, "If anything happens to those dogs in this segment, I'm gonna hate this segment." I don't know what it is, man. I don't know why my heart is so soft for dogs, but like. Anytime there's a dog or any animal, I guess I should say, because even the parrot segment where all the parrot, like the exotic birds died, that that fucking bummed me out. But like the dogs, I was like, man, the scene where he just lets them out of the truck and they start just running 
into the wilderness. I'm just like, man, I hope those dogs are, are going to be all right. And then when the guy died or was murdered, I'm like, well, the dogs are going to have to fend for themselves now. Who knows what happened to them? I, yeah, I want to know what happened to the dogs as well. I agree, Krispy Kreme McDonald. So do I. So the next segment we have is uh, not really a segment from the show, although it could have been, but it seems more like it's a, a creepy pasta or, or a total rumor at this point. I still don't know what the hell creepy pasta is. <laughs> it was it was it's basically an urban legend. That's really what it is. So that's re- it was this at this point. The Dorothy Jane Scott case on Unsolved Mysteries is a total urban legend until proven otherwise. But it's still a really good case. Yeah, and you know, like, I find it crazy. People don't know. We don't know for sure if this actually aired on Unsolved Mysteries or not. It might have, but it might not have. Yeah. It's up in the air. because it's an Unsolved Mysteries urban legend. Yes, it, it, it is. And, and one of our Patreons suggested it. So, I mean, that leads me to believe that maybe they saw it on Unsolved Mysteries at one point. But, yeah, I mean, there it's this is one of those weird, rare segments where it's like, was this on the show? We've had other requests in the past where people wanted us to do certain segments and they either weren't on the original Unsolved Mysteries I think one of them was only on the Dennis Farina revamp. Yeah, should... yeah, but we tried to find it, and I don't, I don't think we... But we didn't really look hard enough, because I didn't really want to dig through the shit. That yeah, is the, the revamp. Dennis Farina revamp to find one segment. Yeah, I did not want to hear that Chicago accent. Uh, <laughs> and her body was found in the bay. And, uh... <laughs> Well, actually, let me tell you, there's a great hot dog shop right by that area. I'm Dennis Farina. (laughs) So anyway, uh, we're talking about the murder of Dorothy Jane Scott. Great Scott! Great Scott, Marty! (laughs) Dorothy is dead! Oh, gee, Doc! (laughs) This is heavy, Doc! Doc, my head's kind of shaking, but I'm not too concerned about it. Maybe it was the Libyans! Anyway, uh, you can get started with the first part here. Uh, Alright, here we go, gang. I'm going to give you a synopsis, and then we're going to dig into this this meat pie a little bit more. I don't know. I'm tired. Um, Dorothy Jane Scott disappeared on May 28, 1980 in Anaheim, California. She had driven two co-workers to the hospital after one had been bitten by a spider. Hopefully it was not a brown recluse. Or a black widow. While they were waiting for a prescription to be filled, Scott went to the to get her car and bring it around to meet them. Her car her car approached them, but it sped away. Okay, I, I got it. That was a weird sentence. Her car became anapromorphic and walked up and approached her. And then, no, um... So that is great. So her, fr- just, I got a mental image of that. <laughs> <laughs> just like the two back tires acting as legs, just step, 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 like walking. It's a transformer. Yeah. All of a sudden, it's Bumblebee, and then um. Okay, so her friends, I guess, are waiting outside of the hospital after they were treated for the spider bite, and her car approached them with her in it. <laughs> but then the car sped away. Um. Neither one of them could see who was driving as its headlights had blinded them. Oh, that's that's why. Maybe no one was driving it then. Maybe maybe it was a ghost. Maybe 
Maybe it was Bumblebee. Yeah. <laughs> so they reported her missing a couple hours later. After not hearing from her in the preceding months, Scott had been receiving anonymous phone calls from a man who had reportedly been stalking and her. Here, and here is the quote from this, this voice, and it is really fucking creepy. Okay, now you're going to come my way, and when I get you alone, I will cut you up into bits, and no one will ever find you. Wow. That's ominous. Now, wait a second. It said her car approached them and sped away, but they couldn't see who was driving, and they reported her missing... And then after not hearing from, you know, after not hearing from her, and then in the preceding months, Scott had been receiving anonymous phone calls. So she wasn't missing then because now she's receiving anonymous phone calls. So obviously she's. No, no, no. This is this is a typo. It's a thing, shitty probably. ass article. <laughs> from Wikipedia. Who would have thought Wikipedia? I thought this was like the like scholarly source for information. No, actually, it does. It does work. It says in the preceding months. Scott had been receiving anonymous phone calls. Oh, from proceed- I'm tired, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, may I remind you, you get what you pay for with this pot. That's not counting the Patreons. We love you. Love you. Miss you. Kiss you. Wake up before you go, go, Josh. Come on. Oh, my God, Mike. That's painful. Um, yeah, no, I'm very tired <laughs> right now. That's the point. I apologize. Yeah, no, that woke me up in anger. Now I want to beat you. <laughs> um, Good. So serve the purpose. Sounded a little deviant, Mike. Um, in June 1980, a man call, uh, called the Orange County Register, a local newspaper that published a story on the disappearance and claimed that he had killed Scott. Police believe the caller was Scott's killer. From 1980 to 1984, Scott's mother, Vera, also received phone calls from a man who claimed that he had Scott uh, or had killed her. So he, he either had her or killed her. The phone calls could not be traced. Of course, they could never fucking be traced on Unsolved Mysteries. Um, it's like, that's like another trope, I feel like, if you're playing some kind of Unsolved Mysteries drinking game. Every con- every time the call was not able to be traced, take a shot. Um <laughs> He had threatened, uh, or, or blah, 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 as uh, the man did not stay on the line long enough, which is, yeah, that's usually what happens. You know, these people know about call tracing technology at this point, so they know not to, like, linger on the phone and be like, yeah, I have your daughter, and, uh, yeah, so how have you been? You know, anything anything interesting happen, <laughs> you know, lately? No, they're not going to do that. Uh, in August 1984, partial remains were found and identified as Scott's. No arrest have ever been made in the case, which has been called one of the strangest disappearances ever. It is pretty strange. Now, here's a a little bit more information about what some of the calls were from this male caller, this this, uh, strange, uh, unknown caller. So, uh, Vera gets a a phone call from this uh, unknown caller, and he says... Are you related to Dorothy Scott? And Vera replies, yes, I've got her. The caller then hung up. And he also called some uh, a few other times. It said things like, uh, actually, there was uh, Riley, uh, who, 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 I'm looking up who Riley is here, um, told Riley. Pat Riley is an editor of the Santa Ana Register, which was a uh, paper uh jacob scott uh apparently i think that was the 
father or, or somebody related to Dorothy. And he contacted the Santa Ana Register and they ran a story about his daughter's disappearance. So yeah, it was his, her father. And on the day the story ran, uh, Pat Riley, no relation to the, to the basketball coach. I don't think anybody was uh, thinking that, but okay. Uh, she she uh, got a phone call and uh, the strange, crazy guy said, I killed her. I killed Dorothy Scott. She was my love. I caught her cheating with another man. She denied having someone else. I killed her. The caller then authenticated himself by providing details a crank phone caller wouldn't know, details that had not been printed. He knew that Dorothy had been wearing a red scarf that night. He knew about Bostrin's spider bite, who was her friend. He claimed Dorothy Scott had phoned him to tell him, tell him she was at the UCI Medical Center. However, well, yeah, I, I, so that's really a little bit. There's also other, like, once again, the guy kept calling Dorothy's mom, saying things like, is Dorothy there? Or he would say, I've got her. So here's a little bit about the victim. Scott was a single mother living in Stanton, California with her aunt and her four-year-old son. She was a secretary for two jointly owned Anaheim, California stores. One that sold psychedelic items, i.e. love beads and lava lamps, and the other a head shop. Co-workers and friends say she preferred staying at home, was a devout Christian, and did not drink or do drugs. Why is she working at a head shop? Yeah, I know. It's kind of... Kind of like I, I'm not trying to be super judgmental here or, or an asshole, but I mean, kind of suspicious. <laughs> Her parents, who lived in Anaheim, babysat their grandson while Scott worked. Scott's father, Jacob, said his daughter may have dated on occasion, but had no steady boyfriend uh, that the family knew of. Now, prior prior to the abduc- abduction of murder, months before ab- her abduction. Scott had been receiving anonymous anonymous phone calls from an unidentified male at work. She told her mother she recognized the voice but could not remember the man's name. The caller alternately told Scott of his love and devotion and also threatened to kill her. (laughs) The man also said he had been stalking her and provided accurate details of her day-to-day life to prove it. Scott's mother recounted, One day he called and said to go outside because he had something for her. She went out, and there was a single dead red rose on the windshield of her car. Ooh, that just gave me chills. Dude. I, I, I thought it was quite hilarious. The uh, <laughs> He would talk about his love and devotion for her, but also threatened to kill her. <laughs> Is it- I love you. I love you, Dorothy. I'm going to fucking kill you. I'm going to cut you up into pieces and no one will ever find you. <laughs> but I also love you. <laughs> that was weird. Um, Scott's mother said one call especially horrified her daughter. The man reportedly told Scott he would get her alone and, yeah, cut her up into bits and no one will ever find her. Because of the calls, Dorothy considered buying a handgun. About a week before her disappearance, she began taking karate lessons. Wow. Disappearance and murder. At 9 p.m. on May 28, 1980, Scott was at an employee meeting at work. She noted co-worker Conrad Bostrin did not look well and had a red mark on his arm. She and another co-worker, Pam Head, 
left the employee meeting to take Bostron to the emergency room at the UC Irvine Medical Center. Scott then changed her black scarf to a red one and stopped by her parents' house on the way to the hospital to check on her son. Medical personnel determined that Bostron had suffered a black widow spider bite. Ugh. It's like I was, I didn't, I was, it better not be a black widow, but it was. So that's not good. Uh, they treated him though, so he came out all right. Head said that she and Scott remained in the ER waiting room. And no, and at no time Head said did Scott leave her side. Bostron was discharged around 11 p.m. and given a prescription. Scott offered to bring her car to the exit. She did not want Bostron to walk too far in his condition, and he was still not feeling well. Head said Scott used the restroom briefly before heading out to the parking lot. Head and Bostron filled his prescription and waited at the exit for Scott. When they did not see her after a few minutes, they went out to the ER's parking lot. Suddenly, they saw Scott's car speeding towards them. Its headlights blinded them so they could not see who was behind the wheel. They waved their arms to try to get Scott's attention, but the car sped past them and took a sharp right turn out of the parking lot. Initially, both thought that Scott had an emergency come up with her son, and a few hours later, after not hearing from her, Head and Bostron reported Scott missing. At around 4.30 a.m. on May 29th, Scott's car, a white 1973 Toyota station wagon, was found burning in an alley about 10 miles, 16 kilometers from the hospital. Neither she nor her supposed kidnapper were anywhere nearby. Discovery. On August 6, 1984, construction worker discovered dog and human bones side by side, about 30 feet away from Santa Ana Canyon Road. That's a fun phrase to say. Santa Ana Canyon Road. Santa Ana Canyon Road. The bones were partially charred and the authorities believed that they had been there for two years as a brush fire had, quote, swept across the site in 1982. A turquoise ring and watch were also found. Scott's mother said the watch had stopped at 12.30 a.m. on May 29th, about an hour, she said, after Pam Head and Conrad Bostrom last saw Scott's vehicle. On August 14th, the bones were identified as Scott's by dental records. An autopsy could not determine the cause of death. A memorial service was held on August 22nd, the motivation for Scott's abduction and murder is unknown. Uh, that's, that's You also have uh, some extra sort of details here from the true crime diary. The calls stopped in April 1984, uh, the mysterious phone calls, when Jacob and not Vera answered a nighttime call from their unknown tormentor. Jacob speculated that the caller was probably assumed that new residents were now living in the house. Three and a half months later, a construction worker happened upon the skeletal remains of Dorothy and some brush off of the Santa Ana Canyon Road in Anaheim. Uh, but actually, th those were the remains of a dog. And then beneath the dog, covered lightly with soil, were human bones. So, this sick fuck killed a dog and then buried it over uh, the body of Dorothy to try to somehow cover up her body? I don't get what that. I think is interesting is that is so bizarre is the whole uh, watch being found and it stopped on a certain yeah. time. And, and yeah, it, they they found human bones, a pelvis and arm, two thighs and a skull. They also found a turquoise ring and a watch, which had stopped at 1230 a.m. on May 29th, 1980. I mean, my, my means uh, good. God, am I having a stroke right now? That reminds me <laughs> of. Huh. That reminds me of that scene in Chinatown, which is one of the few movies I have actually seen because I was going on like a Jack Nicholson binge at one point. I actually have not seen that. Oh, one my sweet Lord. 
<laughs> a, 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 not only a movie that I have seen that you haven't seen, now, but now a, you're gonna have a stroke for but real. But a, cl- a classic, <laughs> a fucking classic movie that that I've I've seen parts of it. Oh I haven't seen goodness. the whole thing though. Well, there's a scene in it. Jack Nicholson, I think he's some kind of detective or some shit, and he has all these pocket watches in his uh, glove compartment, and he's like stalking this guy, and this guy is like sitting in his car. Or maybe he's out of his car, something like that. Jack Nicholson goes up and he puts one stopwatch, or it's not, they're not stopwatches, they're like pocket watches or whatever. Uh He sticks one pocket watch in front of the back tire and one pocket watch behind the back tire. And they're, you know, set for the right time. And then he waits. And when the guy drives off, he comes back later and he picks up one of the watches that he ran over. And it it actually, uh, you know, obviously when you run over... The stopwatch, it's going to stop working, but it will, the hands will be on the exact time that the car left. So it was kind of like an old fashioned way to see when somebody left a location, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of cool. It reminded me of that. So yeah, Vera Scott identified the turquoise ring as belonging to her daughter. A week later, the remains were positively identified as those of Dorothy Scott. After the announcement ran in the newspaper, the Scott family received two more calls from a now familiar voice asking, Is Dorothy home? Jacob Scott died in 1994, one week shy of his 70th birthday. And Vera Scott died in 2002, both without having learned the identity of the man who killed their daughter. The man who couldn't help but salt their wound on a weekly basis for the better part of four years. So I want to give uh, a lot of credit to the True Crime Diary website. Uh, it's not really showing me who exactly wrote this, uh, but whoever did this and did the research and whoever's running the site did a really good job. They also mentioned a similar case, which I think is interesting and worth mentioning. One of the only similar cases that comes to mind is the disappearance of a 17-year-old Amy Billick in 1974, who was last seen hitchhiking in her hometown of Coconut Grove, Florida. Are you familiar with Coconut Grove? No, not at all. Billig was never located and remains a missing person. Almost immediately after her disappearance, her mother began receiving phone calls from a man who said his name was Hal Johnson and that he'd abducted Amy and sold her to a biker gang as a sex slave. Over the next two decades, Hal Johnson's bogus clues and red herrings sent Billig's mother, Susan, all over the United States interviewing bright biker transients and transient bikers in dusty corners of the country she couldn't have imagined existed. The devotion to finding her daughter nearly bankrupted her, and she and her husband, Ned, had to sell her their business and move into a smaller home. After her husband's death from lung cancer, Hal Johnson called Susan Billig to pay his respects. Ned's dead, isn't he? You're alone now, aren't you? You'd better watch out. After, uh, after offering updated information about her daughter's whereabouts, Hal Johnson told Billig that her daughter had been trafficked overseas and wound up in Saudi Arabia by the way of London, where the sheik who had purchased her had a special request. He wants to see you and her together. The phone calls persisted and sometimes six or seven a night until 1995 when advanced call tracing technology finally uncovered the identity of Billig's harasser. He was 48-year-old Henry Johnson Blair, a U.S. customs agent and a 25-year veteran of the agency. Blair attributed his 21-year campaign of just a bunch of crank calls to unchecked obsessive-compulsive disorder, stress at work, and alcoholism. He was convicted of aggravating stalking in 1996 and sentenced to two years in prison. 
1999, Susan Billig accepted a $5 million settlement in a lawsuit she had filed against Blair. What she never, what she, what she never received from him, however, was an apology. Though Blair had didn't denied having anything to do with Amy Billig's disappearance, he couldn't be concretely ruled out from culpability. Remarkably, an entry Amy had written in her diary mere weeks before her disappearance read, Hank says as soon as I finish school, he wants me to go to South America with him. I told him he's crazy. Henry Blair's nickname was Hank. And furthermore, he had taken quite a few trips to South America in the early 1970s in his capacity as a sky marshal. A photo taken with Amy's camera before her disappearance showed a van that was identical to descriptions of a white van that Blair had driven at that time. And witnesses had said that Amy was the la was last seen getting into a beige van. Blair died in 2006, and whatever answers he may have harbored died with him. Susan Billig died a year earlier, deprived of those answers, just like the parents of Dorothy Scott. In his role as a U.S. Customs investigator, Blair was well-decorated, highly respected, and a group supervisor, overseeing an anti-smuggling outfit at the end of his career. He was married with two grown daughters. Nothing in his early life as a Coast Guard brat or in his adult life could have belied the profoundly warped and sadistic character, character that operated covertly and nearly undetectedly. As far as Dorothy Scott's case goes, it is now completely obscured by Frost at the far end of the cold case locker. And they, write, they say online references to it are a few. Uh, an entry for it exists on the Unsolved Mysteries Wikia, yet the case is never, was never even profiled on the program, nor on any other. Ostensibly, Dorothy Scott's killer has gotten away not only with murder, but with the protracted psychological torture of the victim's family. He planned, waited, and with the patience and precision of a spider, struck, gloated, and then receded back into the greater social fabric. The case was belied with frost at the end of the cold case library. Wow, that's some uh, creative writing right there. Obscured. Whatever. But yeah, it is creative writing. I think it was whoever did this did a great job. I don't know. Check out the check out their uh, website, folks. What well, true crime garage? True crime diary. Diarrhea garage. <laughs> it's not that bad. <laughs> I'm just joking. Uh, diary reminds me of diarrhea, and I don't know where Garage came from, but I was thinking Garage. Well, there is a show I think called True Crime Garage. I think. Yeah, I think I think you're right. It's a podcast. I think that's probably better than ours. I'm just joking. Maybe it is. I don't know. Why did I even start that? Um. <laughs> so yeah, those are our two Patreons. Oh shit, we, we didn't even uh, plug anything yet. I don't have much else to say about this case. It's uh, a shame that this psychopathic, sadistic motherfucker hasn't been caught yet. And uh, me swearing at the end of that actually does tie into uh, what we're going to talk about in News of the Bazaar. Some news first, of the Bazaar. You could plug some stuff first. Sure. If you would like to uh, follow us on Facebook and join our group, it's, um, well, we're facebook.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. You can like our Facebook page on there. Uh, I would highly recommend more, though, joining our Facebook group, uh, which is uh, just go to the group area. Well, I don't know. There's some exclusive bonus stuff on there that if you're a fan of Unsolved Mysteries, you definitely want to check out. Pretty a fucking essential if you're a fan of Unsolved Mysteries. So you should join that group. Um, that's just Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. Just type it in the search bar. It should The group should come up. Um, I already said Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com slash Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. You get the podcast early. Bonus segments. We even did a live chat. 
We attempted a live stream like a few weeks ago. We're going to do that again. Way too late and it's all my fault, but we'll do it again sometime at a better time. Yes, it is all Mike's fault. I love it when I can divert blame to others. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, and that's it. So we're going to some news of Bizarre now. I love this. I love this article. This, this one is uh, this, swearing is actually a sign of more intelligence, not less. Says scientists. So people, damn right. so people with lab coats said this, so it must be, it must be valid. You're damn right. You're goddamn right. This is what I, this is what I always knew to be true <laughs> about us. I knew that the fact that, you know, when we were reaching the wells of our vocabulary and all we could find is fuck, I knew it was because we, we, were, we were secretly brilliant. <laughs> now this article... Proves that the use of obscene or taboo language or swearing, as it's more commonly known, is often seen as a sign that the speaker lacks vocabulary, cannot express themselves in a less offensive way, or even lacks intelligence. Well, fair enough. Fair studies, enough. Studies have shown, however, that swearing may in fact display a more rather than less intelligent use of language. While swearing can become a habit, we choose to swear in different contexts and for different purposes, for linguistic effect to convey emotion, for laughs, or perhaps to be even deliberately nasty. Psychologists interested in when and why people swear try to look past the stereotype that swearing is the language of the unintelligent and the illiterate. In fact, the study by psychologists from Marist College found links between how fluent a person is in the English language and how fluent they are in swearing. The former verbal fluency can be measured by asking volunteers to think of as many words beginning with a certain letter of the alphabet, alphabet as they can in one minute. People with greater language skills can generally think of more examples in the allotted time. Based on this approach, the researchers created the swearing fluency task. This task requires volunteers to list as many different swear words as they can think of in one minute. You want to give that a shot? Fuck shit ass bitch cunt cock bastard. Um, that's pretty much it, I think. By comparing scores from both the verbal and swearing fluency tasks, damn it. It was found that people who scored highest on the verbal fluency test also tended to do best on the swearing fluency task. The weakest in the verbal fluency test also did poorly on the swearing fluency task. What this correlation suggests is that swearing isn't simply a sign of language poverty, lack of general vocabulary, or low intelligence. Instead, swearing appears to be a feature of the language that an articulate speaker can use in order to communicate with maximum effectiveness. And actually, some uses of swearing go beyond just communication. Like, for example, if I'm trying to describe how awful a person is they're a sick motherfucker or a bastard uh yeah if someone's awful they're to me they're a piece of shit well a piece of shit too but i mean if if it's somebody who's like torturing somebody with phone calls that's a, that's one twist twisted sick motherfucker i like i just like sick fuck because you got two ck that's a good one too ck endings you got sick i i, I like and then i like fuck. shit fuck Shitfuck is a fun one because I remember it in this movie called Blind Fury with Rucker Howard, which is hilarious. There's, there's two guys, they go, they're in an elevator and they're all like upset and they're like, shit. The other guy says, fuck. And then they go, shit, fuck. Um, yeah, so they're, they're, I, I did a I did a YouTube, one of my vlogs I did on, uh, on swearing and I, I kind of broke down all the ways you can use it as far as like as a noun, adverb, adjective. I mean, if I talk about it, if it's a good movie, I could say it's a fucking masterpiece and that like <laughs> actually really does resonate harder than just if it's a it's a masterpiece. Well, it's a really good movie. Well, the whole thing and, you know, our our or it's a terrible film. I can I can do it both ways. I can use it for positive. I use it for bad. It's a fucking piece of shit. Yeah. 
Our swearing has been controversial to say the least since the advent of our podcast, and that's reflected in the reviews on our iTunes page. You, you got people talk commenting about. In fact, any comment we get about our podcast, the swearing is usually brought up either in a positive light, like "Oh, I love you know, I love the the swearing and everything," or a negative light, where you'll have some of these like really uh, lofty douchebags talking about. You know it's not cool to say fuck every other word, right? You do know that, right? No, I didn't know that. Because that's the only reason I do it is because I I think that by doing this, people out there listening will be like, man, that guy is cooler than a normal person because he says words that anybody else can also say. I mean, it's the same <laughs> It's the same concept. Behind, and this happens a lot where I live. In the, in the fucking south with the big fucking trucks where people will be at a stoplight and then they just slam on the gas and make a loud ass. It's like, I instantly look at that guy. I'm going to go, I, Hey everybody, that guy has a huge dick because nobody else can step on the gas and accelerate quickly. Only he, only big dick motherfuckers can do that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Sarcastically. That guy's overcompensating for something. That's for sure. Yeah. But it's, it's like, so I don't know. It's like, People who do things that anybody else can do is people in their big dick trucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look at me, I can step on the gas pedal, Trump, Donald Trump. I love my fucking truck, <laughs> fucking Mountain Dew and bald eagles forever. <laughs> um, I love, I love the. It makes me think of that uh, country music parody that. Uh, uh, Key of Awesome did where they were they were doing a parody. It was like I'm in love with my truck. <laughs> you know, it was like a, a fucking my truck. <laughs> Mike, that's disgusting, dude. It's hilarious, how, though. That dude, how dare you? It. How dare you? I'm outraged. Come on. I'm, no, I'm no, you're I'm, not. I'm outraged. Yep. You're not, you're not outraged. I, at I'm all. outraged. I'm triggered, and I'm offended all at once. <laughs> But no, nah, like as I don't even I was, know if that's humanly possible. No, but no, anyway, as I was saying before, um, <laughs> like like I personally like I swear because uh, it, it more effectively conveys a lot of things for me. Emotions, yeah, and and not and it's fun. It is fun, <laughs> and, and and I'm conveying emotions here. I'm not conveying meaning. So like if I'm writing a paper and I'm trying to, I'm not gonna put fucking in a paper. There's no right. way unless it's like. No, not doing doing. Yeah, if I'm trying to like most in the most adequate way describe uh, or or convey information to you, I am not going to use words like shit and fuck. I'm going to you know fancy things up, which I can't do now because I'm woke up like an hour and a half ago. But uh, if I'm conveying emotion, (laughs) however, I am I am going to swear all over the place because that's how I'm conveying the emotion in the most effective manner. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I don't understand how podcasters who do these kind of true crime podcasts, I don't understand how they can talk about a woman being raped and dismembered and not use words like sick fuck, piece of shit, bastard, cocksucker, burn in hell. You know, like, how are they not how are they not getting worked up over that? You know, how are they like? And then the woman was mangled and raped. And then police think it's it's like no, dude, like fuck that. What the fuck is wrong with that guy who did that? Or, you know, well, I, I see, 
I was about to say, what was wrong with that guy or girl? And no, fuck the political correct bullshit. It's only men who do that shit. I'm sorry. Only men do that shit. No, that's that's not sorry. Really? Karen. Find me they're, a woman they're, they're, who's they're... dismembered and mangled up. Well, I'm sure you can find that, actually. there. Yes, yeah. there are freak cases where women will do that but like female serial killers black widows like 99 percent. Yeah. even robert stack said that uh it, yeah most of the time no but it, it it's not like it's not it's not like they don't ever i think robert that, stack but, said yeah. some quote like if you're if you're looking for uh, a diabolical gender it's the male or something like that in in one of his uh little uh expositions before going into the story well, although some of them some of those women we've covered on this show on this uh podcast are pretty damn diabolical. well yeah you know uh what's her face um marie maria uh god damn hilly? yeah marie hilly yeah she comes she's the first she's probably the most wicked uh bitch we've talked about on here <laughs> um for sure but anyway yeah uh speaking of swearing you could take the next uh block here about natural pain relief because apparently swearing can help Relieve pain. Does this have to do with? Is this a? Is this a, the same article? Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, research we conducted involved asking volunteers to hold their hand on iced water for as long as they could tolerate while repeating a swear word. The same set of participants underwent the ice water test on separate occasions, but this time they repeated a neutral, non-swear word. The heart rate of both sets of participants was monitored. What we found was those who swore withstood the pain of the ice-cold water for longer, rated it as less painful, and showed a greater increase in heart rate uh, when compared to those who repeated a neutral word. This suggests that they had an emotional response to swearing and an activation of the fight-or-flight response, a natural defense mechanism that not only releases adrenaline and quickens the pulse, but also includes a natural pain relief known as stress-induced analgesia. I know I butchered that word, whatever. Uh, this research was inspired by the birth of my daughter when my wife swore profusely during ag- agonizing contractions. The midwives were surprisingly unfazed and told us that swearing is a normal and common occurrence during childbirth, perhaps for reasons similar to our iced water yeah, study. Yeah, of course. Why would you be like, oh, fire truck. <laughs> Dang it. Oh, fruitful luger <laughs> flicking flu flock. <laughs> yeah, like the, how, the, how, the, uh, how Kathy Bates swore in Misery, the movie Misery. She's like... Uh, I don't even remember. It, I'm just thinking. I'm thinking of like the Home Alone stuff, where it's just like freaking, 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 freaking. Yeah, <laughs> I love Joe. I wish I could say fuck you like Joe Pesci. I, I know I've mentioned yeah. this before in the podcast. Don't, don't but, we all? Yeah, I just wish. I, hey, fuck you! Like he just said, like <laughs> New York. It's it's like man, New Yorkers can cu- like curse someone out. I think better than probably anybody else. Um. Uh, two-way emotional relationship i'll just run through this fuck it we wanted to further investigate how swearing and emotion are linked our most recent study aimed to assess the opposite the opposite of the original research so instead of looking at whether swearing induced emotion in the speaker we examined whether emotion could cause an increase in swearing fluency participants were asked to play a first-person shooter game oh god talking about video games yeah i definitely (laughs) swear a lot during this um they're a first-person shooter game in order to... Well, especially if it's a frustrating level. Oh, yeah. And you're just like... It's just kicking your ass. Contra 3, The Alien Wars for Super Nintendo. Fuck that game, but it's so fun at the same time. <laughs> um, they played for 10 minutes, during which they explored a virtual environment and fought and shot at a variety of enemies. 
We found that this was a successful way to arouse emotions since the participants reported feeling more aggressive afterwards when compared with those who played a well, of course, a golf it's video fucking game. golf. Can you let me say golf video game before you say, of course, it's golf? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Jumping ahead I'll there. Jumping the gun here. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, of course, you know, I mean, uh, dude, especially <laughs> these. I heard like veterans, like like war vets talking about how like they like some of them don't really like playing these Call of Duty kind of games because they're too real now. And it like reminds them too much of like what they dealt with, like overseas. Well, I can totally understand that. But I don't think they did a good comparison. I mean, they should have had like uh, something that is still challenging, but still has, you know, something like a platformer like Donkey Kong Country or, or you know, something like that or Mega Man and then had somebody play a first person shooter, not golf versus a first person shooter. Oh. Unless you're Happy Gilmore playing the golf video game. <laughs> I think they were trying to find the video game <laughs> that was like the most non-video game you could find, which which would be like a neutral thing, which golf, yeah, I mean, if you're looking for... That could be frustrating, though, sometimes, those games, because like, you just keep getting in the sand pit over and over again and not being able to get the ball in the hole. You know, just go in the hole! That's your home! <laughs> Why don't you want to go home? I think the best the best scenes in Happy Gilmore was when the old people were getting tortured at the old folks' home. <laughs> that was hilarious and, and fucked up. Ben Stiller was great. <laughs> Why does Ben Stiller have two roles that he plays in any movie? He's either the awkward nerd or the psychopath <laughs> like like dictator guy like he's either one of two like in heavyweights and in dodgeball yeah the, and in uh happy gilmore yeah dude he plays two roles that's it it's so weird like i don't understand but he's great though like in heavyweights yeah. and all those like he's hilarious i love that like psychopath role when he busts that out you know on occasion the heavyweights role is tony perkis is one of my all-time favorites uh, just the way he's smiling and it's all like Come on down. Well, dodgeball was weighs great him. too because he weighs him and he's all like, "Get on the scale." And then he weighs him. And he's like, "Get off the scale." <laughs> dodgeball was good too because he's got that that fucking painting behind him of him grabbing the yeah. bull by the horns. He's like, "Yeah, you see that painting? Yeah, that's me. That really happened." <laughs> Hilarious. Um, all right, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. <laughs> Oh god. All right, uh let's move on to our final article here uh and then we'll wrap this this fucking pain in the ass. Po- no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm having a great time. Um and Mike, I'm just going to do you the honors cuz you're a pretty shitty individual. So I'm no, I'm just joking. Um <laughs> Okay. All right. South Korea's poop school to change name. Nah, well, let's let that set. Let's just let that set in for a second. <laughs> And let's uh, let's just read that. South Korea's poop school to change name. <laughs> they should have changed that name from day one. Like, what were they thinking? There's a lot of public schools in Jacksonville that bloody well deserve that title poop school more <laughs> than this school in South Korea, probably. We've got shit school. Yeah, I got what what school do you attend? I attend shit school. You know, I don't know if you know this, Mike, but there's this thing going on in the South where like a lot of people are petitioning to rename a lot of these public schools, especially here in Jacksonville, because a lot of them are named after Confederate generals. Um, I think if you name a school poop school, it's cool because 
not only are you describing the quality of the school, so there's no mystery behind it. Like we know and you have like a poop emoji, like for the logo. We know yeah. we're sending our kids like to a piece of shit school, and not only that, like like people who are all like, oh, that's racist, whatever. They can't say anything about this. Everybody poops. It's it's uh, equal. It's equality. <laughs> and you also know so, what you're getting. You know you're getting shitty education. Now it's just veiled. It's like, oh, let's sending our kids to Robert E. Lee High School. But everybody knows that's a shitty school. But if you just name it Poop School, I don't know. It solves a lot of problems, in my opinion. Or shitty school. Yeah, that too. A South Korean elementary school whose name means shit <laughs> has decided to adopt a more flagrant moniker, uh, school officials said uh, Friday. Many Korean names and words are based on Chinese characters, so when rendered in the Hangul alphabet, they can have the same spelling but multiple meanings. The unfortunate consequence for the Daeyeobon Elementary School in Busan is that human feces are the first thing to come to mind when Koreans hear its name. Are you from poop school? Was a typical taunt students and former pupils have endured for 55 years. Oh my god. Said. 55 years that's a of poop school. That's a lot of, of shit school. They're committing to that's that name. That's a lot of shit. They mounted a campaign to change the name, gathering more than 4,000 signatures since April. A school official who declined to give her name told a She won't give her name. <laughs> I'm not telling you that I work at a poop school. <laughs> We want to have a pretty school name. Read a banner put up on the school wall by the students and their parents. A school committee will choose among three options next week and submit a request to local authorities to change the name, she said, with permission expected to be granted from the spring term next year. This is the... the what was their mascot? Turd Sandwich? <laughs> a school committee will choose among uh, three options. One of them, Haparang or Sea Waves, would flush away the stench of the past, while the other two are geographically based. Founded in 1963, the school, which has 77 students, is named after a village called Dayabun Rai, a shortening of the nearby... Yeah, good luck Good luck fuck? with that word, buddy. Dayadongbolampo, or Daydong Warehouse Coast. The Kunghihang Yahang... Mike, are you having a stroke now? I think so. Sinmoon Daily said that other schools also have embarrassing homographs, including Yungia Sperm... Sperm school. Yes. Young Young Wan, which means seminal duct. Yadong. Pornography. Pornography school. And Mulgon. Prick. Prick school. That's where all the pricks go oh to school. Oh my god. What the fuck is wrong with these people? <laughs> Jesus. Pornography school. No wonder North Korea was like, we gotta get some fucking order in, in our part of the country. Like, we're gonna like... You know, unify everything, and you all have to have my same haircut, and we're not naming poop. See, this is why you can't have freedom in, in some countries, people. Maybe this is why South Korea should have remained, uh, you know, with North Korea, because left to their own devices, they're naming their schools pornography and seminal duct. Of course, Josh is, is, is... I'm joking. North Korea should be... joking, folks. The bad men in North Korea should be erased... Dude, they're doing some fucked up shit in North Korea. They have like like uh the, like uh, the missile tests and all that shit. Well, they have like camps where they like mm -hmm. internment camps where 
if you mess up bad enough, they like send your whole family to these internment so camps. So it's like what Russia used to do. Yeah. Like Russia did that. They send you to the gulag. They send you to Siberia or something. Yeah, shit. because their thinking is is that if if you're doing these shitty things, then it's probably in your lineage. Like so they try to erase the whole bloodline. Yeah. I mean in the Soviet Union, not just Russia in general. My bad. Do you think you're going to offend some Russian listeners just then? I don't know, maybe. That's all the Russian I know. And I just said the three like non-secretary None words. of the four that we just talked about were considering are considering changing their names. Absolutely not, said an employee of the Mogun School, Prick School, uh, in southeastern county of Nam- Namhe. That would be absurd. Last year, last year Japanese Kinky University... <laughs> Bowed to years of foreign sniggering by changing its nomenclature to the less saucy-sounding kindai. Now, when they say that poop school means poop, now I'm I'm guessing South Korea, they have their own little squiggly lines of writing, their own way of writing. It's not the Latin alphabet. So it doesn't say... No. It's not saying P-O-O-P on the front of the school, I'm guessing. No. It's saying... No. But, like, but, but does it... God. I don't know. <laughs> it sounded like a cat. Like, you stepped on a cat's tail. <laughs> so they're saying that... that, that uh, yeah. That this means poop in the South Korean language? It's the Dayuba. It's the Daebuyeon. Daebuyeon. Or Daebuyeon or whatever, elementary school in Busan. So no, it's just the characters and it, no, it doesn't say poop. It just translates in some way to poop. Yeah, that's the, the whole translating in some way part is what I'm curious about. Because, because you know, like, if it's in their language, then then who gives a fuck if well, it's similar? Well, as many Korean names are and words are based on Chinese characters. So when rendered in the Hangul alphabet... They can have the same spelling, but multiple meanings. Like, for instance, in the German language, uh, fart, F-A-H-R-T, that means driving, like you're driving. Well, yeah, well... But but obviously funny. in English, it means, you know, so, gas coming out of your asshole that smells bad. <laughs> so what, are the Germans... Are you going to farting school? Are, are the, yeah, exactly. Are you going... Are you attending farting school? Going to the Fahrtschule? But what, are the Germans going <laughs> to change change their verb in their fucking language no, because it, it, we no. laugh at it? You know what I mean? Like, it's no. like... Yeah, I know. It's like, yeah, stuff sounds different in other languages, but does that mean you... Well, for example, a fag is actually a British slang term for a cigarette. Right. Which is the only time we, that word will ever be used on this podcast. Damn it! <laughs> I don't know what that was. Um, Yeah, but, you know, it's it's context, you know? Like, context is, is key to all this kind of stuff, and... It might, like gay used to mean happy. My only because there there was a great deleted scene uh, from Back to the Future where Marty was talking to Doc and he was all talking to Doc. He was worried about what if I have like you know the hots for my mother. You know what what if does that mean that I'm gonna become gay in the future? And then and then and then and then Doc is like, what's wrong with being happy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. I, I didn't catch that little subtle thing they do in there. My only concern is, like, I don't really like how, like, English and especially, like, American culture... It's... English is so hard to... for people from other countries Mike, to learn because there's so would many... Would you let me these, finish like, my thought there, fella? 
Go ahead. Punch Jesus me in the face. Christ. Um, I just don't like how like English and the American culture in general, I don't like how it's like proliferating worldwide and kind of taking over. And my only concern uh. is that like, I don't, you know, I don't want anybody like catering or, or kowtowing to us in any way. So, so like if, if that is poop school, like, and it's only like somehow loosely translated in English to poop, I think they should keep it because it's like, I, I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think it translates in their language to poop, which is why there are people from their own area, from their own uh, location, from their country who are like saying things like you come from poop school, you know? Yeah. 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 I don't know. I just, you know, cause like I, I'm really fascinated with Germany, German culture, not Nazi shit. So back off with that stuff. But <laughs> you got in the sad thing is you have to say that whenever you talk about, german culture if somebody says yeah i'm like really really into german culture man like people start getting a little nervous like how interested in it are you and what time period but no i just i like i love a lot of well i like like two uh, rammstein and Kraftwerk are two some of my two favorite bands i love the, how the language sounds etc but uh they kind of have this thing in germany where like when it comes to their language they just accept all these new words from all these other countries and and uh, in like, you know, advertisements and this, that and the other, there's so much um, like like Anglo centered Americanized kind of things happening in Germany and they don't really preserve their culture that well. And, and I, I think that's that shitty. I don't want to go to another country yeah. and feel like I'm visiting America again and see McDonald's yeah. and Walmarts and the same stupid see, bullshit we have here. I, I, I see your point. Uh, and uh, I apologize for talking over you there i just get on a roll and and it's hard for my brain to stop so you have three cigarettes to put out on yourself today for penance (laughs) okay but uh no i totally agree with that but also it i on what i was saying earlier english is very difficult for other people to learn so i don't want us to force other countries to adopt our language in the first place because it's so hard for these people from other countries to understand let alone become uh, eloquent in uh so many of our words are spelled the exact same way but mean different things you know i sometimes wonder i sometimes wonder how difficult is english really you know like i don't know because like we don't have all that infinitive and gender like you know where every article no, has but like like i said we have all of these words that are spelled the same way but have different meanings yeah, I don't know. I think just by just by the fact that you don't have to conjugate every verb with a feminine, masculine, and sometimes neutral. Yeah, but but I've I've heard from some people that I, you know I've known personally who are like Eng- English is is tough, and a lot of them go back to just speaking their native language. Are there any as much as I can? If there are any foreign listeners out there who don't whose English is not your first language uh and you happen to be on our Facebook page or something like that or or whatever, however like let us know about that. Yeah, We're curious. let us know. Let us know. Uh, I'm curious. Uh from what I've heard it, it's it's been pretty difficult. Yes. But anyway, uh I think that's all we have to say about the poop school. <laughs> the poop school. Um, yep, that's the end of the podcast, folks. I'm sorry, that's it. I mean... You can follow us on uh, YouTube if you want. Uh, I have a YouTube channel. It's called uh, OCP Communications. Uh, I do movie reviews and stuff like that. I'm going to do a good amount of horror reviews and stuff for Halloween for October because it's the month of uh, Halloween. 
and uh, also throwing a, a review of Blade Runner and the sequel sometime this month. So if that's something you're interested in, go ahead and check that out. Josh also has a YouTube channel, Dancing with Ghosts. YouTube.com slash Dancing with Ghosts. Uh, I, I just recently put out a music video. Um, it was really impressive, so check it out. Yeah, um, it took many, many long hours. Actually, uh, the, the... Did you direct that yourself I did. or did somebody yeah, else? Yeah, dude, I did everything... That's even more impressive. Thanks. Yeah, dude. It, it, I, it's like I did. I, I do all these like higher production YouTube videos, um, and and after a certain period of time, especially after making some of those skits, I'm like, dude, I could totally make a music video. I have all the skills here to do this. Yeah, and and you nailed it. So yeah. So go and yeah, go and check that out, everybody. I mean, I, I've been promoting on the Unsolved Mysteries page, or whatever, and the actress who played her role in my music video. She's here right now. Stay, say hi, Stephanie. Hi, Stephanie. All right. <laughs> that is the... What, is that the first female we've ever technically had on the podcast? Stephanie, uh, how long have you been... Uh, what, fucking... I don't know. Doing music? Um, well, I mean, I've been singing along to the TV since I was, you know an infant but i've been in chorus in high school and i've had bands my entire 20s so a really long time and she did great in the video she check it out good stuff yeah she did fun times great oldies we treat you right we love you we love you kiss you miss you um for me and mike bye see ya What's up, guys? The new Dancing with Ghosts album that I have been working on is out now. You can buy it on iTunes or Bandcamp.com or anywhere else online where music is sold. Uh, If you go on Bandcamp, you can get a CD, a compact disc. Isn't that old school and retro of me? Remember those? Uh, Or you could just message me on Facebook and say, hey, I want a copy of your CD and I will mail it out to you. But uh, yeah, it's out now and it is it is finished and it's uh, some good stuff. So uh, if you want to go out and check that out, then uh, like I said, search iTunes anywhere else. uh, Music is sold online or go to Bandcamp.com and search Dancing with Ghosts. Thank you. At this point, I'd like to give a shout out real quick to uh, Elliot and Jamie Lee. They, well, Elliot listens to the podcast. I don't know that much. And uh, yeah, they're getting married soon. Congratulations, guys. You are entering into an institution that I will most likely never be in. But good luck to you. I hope it all works out fantastic. And, um, you know, if I live there, maybe I, I could have even been your wedding DJ. But yeah, shout out to those guys. All right, I guess let's get Start. God, this fucking energy level that I'm on is just horrific. Go get a Coke Zero. Oh, I'm, I've got one. I'm hoping it'll kick in at some point here. <laughs> Slap yourself in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is... uh, I Dude, I, my, my, my sleep schedule's been fucking up again, man. Like, I've been having trouble going to sleep at night. And, like, I don't know what... This time, there's, like, no good reason why that should be happening. So I've been having to take sleep pills. I've been... Oh, that's too bad. I've been having... 
I've been the opposite sort of thing where I can't really stay up as late as I used to because I keep having to get up at six and seven o'clock in the morning to catch the bus to go to school. Yeah. So I can't really stay up even on days off. Like my, my mental clock is like, no, we should be going to bed at midnight. <laughs> so that's good though. You're dude. I mean, like the closer you can get to like everybody else's schedule in the whole world, the better off you are because like, the world is not designed for my sleep schedule. Like nothing. no, it is. It wasn't for my earlier sleep schedule either. Either, and I've noticed my sleep is better. And also, I have more time to do stuff on my days off, which is actually good. So, like, I might sleep in a little bit, like to like nine or ten or or whatever. But that's not a lot though, because extra because my mom feeds my cat at six thirty in the morning every day. So regardless of whether or not I'm up or not, so that'll wake me up, and then I'll try to go back to sleep, and then it, it just I'm lucky if I get an extra hour. But it, it's okay. I got I got plenty of energy for right now. I well, just have a bowl of cereal. So maybe you need some food. I just drank a Insure drink. Ah, used to drink a lot of those after my car accident. Yeah, I don't I don't really have any I like ate all my breakfast food. I need to go grocery shopping. Maybe I'll do that today or something. Those sleep pills, man, they like they work. They put you to sleep, but goddamn, you wake up feeling Yeah, when you wake up, yeah. Yeah, you feel so fucking groggy and like <laughs> just like you could feel like I could lay down and sleep longer, but no, yeah. I'm not going to do that shit. And I had a couple people were asking me to read some poems, so I might do that at the end. Yeah, I have that'd... I have one poem I, I I wouldn't mind reading. Okay, cool. So. All right, let's get into this bitch. All right, let's hit her. Let's uh, smack this bitch up. <laughs> Change smack my bitch up. Change okay. my bitch up. Smack <laughs> my bitch up. Have you seen the music video for that song? Yeah, it's a fucking weird ass music video. Pretty good. She turns out being a chick at the end of the video. Curveball. Yeah. <laughs> 